Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Friday, June the 12th, 2020, titled Spider-Man Miles Morales on PS5 suggests live action film coming. We're glad that you're here, guys. Remember, listening to the podcast, you can also submit comments or questions to be read on the live questions part of the John Campia Show anytime by using the tip link in the description of this podcast at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and supporting the show at the same time. And for now... Let's get to the episode. A number of years ago, Rob, you remember that the Academy Awards had a little bit of a kerfuffle going on because they, for a long time, the Academy Awards had five nominees for Best Picture, mm-hmm. five nominees for Best Picture. And then came the year of the Dark Knight. And the Dark Knight was pretty much looked at as being the best hope ever for a comic book film to be nominated for Best Picture. And it didn't get the nomination. It didn't get it. If there had been six, maybe seven nominees, we would have had The Dark Knight as the first comic book movie in history to probably get a Best Picture nomination. But it did not get that nomination. So what happened was the following year, the Academy changed their rules where they could have anywhere between seven and ten nominees between seven and ten nominees and the way that would work is this it was through a certain balloting system that it would come once they go through the balloting system it would come down to however many films a couple of years we've had ten nominees most of the time it's been eight nine things like that and this has been going around well the academy has just announced that they're going to change their rules now they've made a several announcements uh one including you know more efforts to include more diversity within the academy we've seen them talk about that before so let's see if they actually do anything about that but the 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 concrete one that they talked about was the fact that from now on there will be 10 nominees it's not going to be let's wait and see how many nominees the balloting uh, procedure actually makes them end up with, whether that's seven nominees, eight. No- it will be 10. There will be 10. And Rob, I got to tell you, while not the most important thing in the world that they've done this, I personally like it because for di- everybody's going to have different reasons for why they like or dislike it, Rob. But for me, the notion of when I go to watch now the nominees, when I go to watch the ceremony, I get up at four in the morning or whatever it is to watch the announcement of the nominees. You're not waiting. Okay. They just announced the seventh nominee. Is there going to be another one? And then they, will you find out whether they do or not? I like the fact that they just flat out because it takes away that what if scenario. Well, this year they only had eight, man, if they had nine, I bet this movie would have got nominated. You know, it just takes that out a little bit. So it's not a huge thing. But I believe significant, and I actually like it. When you just just codify it, whenever you make moves to remove any of the confusion or remove any uncertainty, and you just codify some like 10 nominees straight, I'm fine with it. I, I'm good. I think it's a nice little move. Rob, you've heard about this. What do you think? You know, I like it. I, You know, I think it's like you said, it's it's consistency is nice. Knowing what you're knowing, what's out there is nice. Although I still feel that like, of those 10 nominees, we all know what the front five are supposed to be in with those. It's usually the front two, two or three. But uh, look, it's always nice when I think when people are trying to make things for the better. And obviously, if they're not, the viewers will speak out and they'll make a change. But I do think that it's nice. I mean, I'm I'm for it. I'm for it. There's other things they brought up I think are a little strange. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes moving forward. But I think it's a good... A good plan. 
Yeah, right. And I'm sure we'll talk about those things as we move forward. If again, though, if we see the Academy actually does anything about it, because they they yeah. always talk a lot. They talk about they're going to do this and they're going to do this. Let's see. This one was at least a little bit concrete. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this move to go to a solid 10 nominees per year? Like the idea? Maybe you're somebody who thinks they should just go back to five. What do you think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more thing off the top, and that is this. Maybe, I think it's fair to say that the most anticipated game this year Maybe the most anticipated game of the last number of years has been the follow-up to Last of Us, The Last of Us 2. Uh, people have been talking about it a lot, and they're looking forward to it, all this excitement. Now, a short time ago, there was some controversy that came out because certain leaks came out about Last of Us 2. A lot of the people out there who saw the leaks didn't like what they heard in the leaks, and there was this huge backlash against the game, pronunciations that this game was going to suck, and that nobody was going to get the game, and and all this kind of stuff. And, and at the time, I remember saying, and I mentioned it a few times in the show, that it's like, look, I personally, the little details we heard in the leaks, and I won't repeat them just in case you haven't heard them, the little details we're hearing in the leaks, I don't like the details we're hearing in the leaks either, but... They're just isolated details outside of any context, right? So we simply don't know. We don't know if these these leaks we're hearing are as bad as they look, or maybe within a certain context, they're great. And the, the example I always give is, look at uh, uh, Thanos in Endgame. If before Endgame came out, we heard a leak, oh, Thanos gets his head chopped off in the first 10 minutes of the movie, everybody would have freaked out. But... Then we see it in context of the movie, and it worked out fine. So we've all been saying, guys, let's just wait till June 12th when we actually get the reviews. Well, June 12th is here, and the reviews for Last of Us 2 are now out, and they are glowing. As of this moment, the Metacritic rating for Last of Us 2 is sitting at 97%. Uh, when we go into some more specifics, some of the specific reviews from some of the larger game review platforms, Game Informer has given Last of Us 2 a 10 out of 10. IGN has given Last of Us 2 a 10 out of 10. Games Radar has given Last of Us 2 a 5 out of 10. US Gamer has given Last of Us 2 a 4.5 out of 5. I said, did I say 5 out of 10? Games Radar gave it a 5 out of 5. US Gamers gave it a 4.5 out of 5. And I've spent some time this morning, Rob, going through a number of these reviews and reading through them. And for, first of all, all of them are basically saying, this is a game that punches you in the face. I mean, that that's basically it. They're saying emotionally, this game will punch you in the face, then knee you in the balls and then stomp on your back. I mean, they're <laughs> saying emotionally, it just leaves you wrecked. But everybody's saying like all the reviews I've been going through are basically affirming. This game is completely character centric. It's incredibly complex as far as the emotional levels of the story go. And they're all saying it's great. Now, I have not seen anything from it. I have not played the game clear clearly. I've not watched any cutscene movies of it. But I mean, it's good to hear this that they decided to make a lot of hard choices with it. And apparently those hard choices led to a really compelling, satisfying story, which again ties into us a little bit more because, you know, we have a Last of Us series coming that's being run by the showrunner of Chernobyl and is going to be lead directed by the director of Chernobyl as well. So we've got that whole Chernobyl team coming. Whether they're going to incorporate elements of Last of Us 2 into the, you know, series, we'll have to wait and see. But this is good news to hear. Rob, I'm actually not that surprised to hear this stuff. 
You no. hear about the reviews of Last of Us 2. Where were your expectations where it's going to be? And what do you think about these reviews we're hearing? Well, again, you know, it was that game was an, the first one, the first Last of Us. It was an amazing game. And you know, it was sort of, to me, the extension of what began, in, at least in my gaming career, with Uncharted, where I was as wrapped up in the characters and the story uh, in a video game as, as I ever had been. And I really, I think, I've been really anticipating this. And it's been a long time. So, oh, so long. I, I'm glad that the, the, the wait was worth it. And, you know, I, I think as a viable entertainment option to be able to have games like this, I mean, it's terrific. I love it. Love it. Can't wait. Where does that leave you for your ex ex expectations as far as the series go with the Chernobyl guys? Well, you know, again, I think they've got the basis for great drama. But, I, I mean, are we going to be on TV? Are we going to be a little tuckered out from this kind of thing? I don't know. Um I, I, it, it'll be interesting. We haven't had a lot of very successful video game adaptations in any medium. <laughs> so, you know, John, for me, I'm always like hope springs eternal. You know, I, I, I with look, Chernobyl is one of the finest TV shows I've seen in a long time. And I, I mean, if anybody could do it, that team is an exciting team. Sure. And, and great source material does not necessarily mean you're going to get a great end product, but the, the better the source material, the better your chances of doing well when you try to translate that to screen. And, and hearing that these reviews come, we already know what people think of the first Last of Us. Now hearing there's reviews coming out the second one, it just gives you a better foundation for source material. So the question here is for you guys. What do you think about the reviews coming out for Last of Us 2? Does that increase your excitement for what its on-screen presentation is going to be like? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. That down, let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Colton M., who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Colton. I've been pretty excited for Black Panther 2. Now we are getting reports that Beyonce is joining Black Panther 2. I'm pretty excited. What do you think about this? Thanks and keep up the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, there have been some reports going around. You guys have probably seen them. These reports swirling around the internet that Beyonce is joining Black Panther 2 and probably a couple of other Disney films as well. The specifics of the report basically say that Beyonce has entered into a $100 million deal with Disney for a Black Panther 2 and two other films. We can tell you this is not true. It's uh, it's not true. Uh, one of the uh, entertainment reporters for Variety uh, got online and debunked uh, this rumor going around. And it's important to say, you know, we always tell people, go to the source. What is the source of this? This The source of this was coming from The Sun out of the UK, which is always a little bit of a crapshoot about whether you can buy what they're saying, particularly when it comes to entertainment stuff. And the guy at the Variety basically said, Listen, no, there's no such deal in place. Uh, you're not going to see Beyonce. And, and by the way, there was some confusion about whether or not this thing with Beyonce 
was going to be her in the movie or was it just going to be her composing music to which it really made it look ridiculous because Disney's not going to pay a hundred million dollars to somebody to write three songs and they just weren't going to do it. I don't don't care if it's Beyonce. They just simply were not going to do that. Now, look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this right now. I didn't mind the idea when I first heard it. And before I had a chance to look into its validity, when I first heard it, listen, I don't mind the idea. Beyonce has shown over the years she's pretty good on screen. She can't. I mean, I I don't think she's one of the world's great actresses, but she's shown she's pretty good on screen. And, you know, if you put her in there, it doesn't mean she's going to take Lupita Nyong'o's place and be the lead female character of the movie. It could have been a small role. It could have been, you know, just a little supporting role, which could have been good. Uh, Rob, you know, you hear about this. You know, the rumor, number one, what did you think about the rumor at first? And do you think it's a good or bad thing that we've heard that ultimately it's kind of been debunked? What do you think? Well, look, I didn't believe it, but, uh, you know, what she was going to play Storm. That <laughs> was one of the rumors. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, if, you know, Storm, Wakanda, uh, marrying T'Challa, I'm all about that. And I'm a big fan of Beyonce. I mean, I think she's an electrifying performer. I, I like what she's about. I like what she's done as an artist. I just, you know, it, it just... Ah. Uh, not to denigrate pop stars transitioning over to movies, but are would she be the best actress for the part? I don't know. I, I mean, the Black Panther, the first Black Panther was stacked with some heavy hitter actors. And what a great ensemble. And if you're going to add somebody that's going to be right up there with T'Challa, with Chad Bozeman, you better have the chops to play opposite him because he is a great actor. And so is everybody else in that franchise. Well, just they had four, they had an Academy Award winner and in, in Forrest Whitaker as one of the small supporting roles. You've got, I mean, you got some icons in that movie as well. Like that's, but again, you know, if we had heard that, I mean, first, I never, even when I first heard the storm thing, I'm like, okay, no, that's not true. They're not going to make her storm. But I mean, if it was somebody, if it was a smaller supporting role, you know, where she's got like eight, nine minutes of screen time, whatever. I, I would have been perfectly okay with that. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. And she's, I, I, you're right. She is simply the most electrifying. Uh, I love the word because that's that's a Dwayne The Rock Johnson word. But Beyonce is the <laughs> most electrifying female entertainer in the world. I mean, when she's on stage doing her thing, she's like, I, I, I've never seen a b- better stage presence out of a female performer than Beyonce. But that doesn't necessarily automatically mean she's a great actress. And But I would have been okay with it. But it sounds like that has kind of been debunked, so we don't have to worry about it too much. The question for you guys, though, is what would you have thought about the idea of Beyonce being in there? Would it have been something to be excited about? Would you have been excited if it was a supporting role? Maybe a little bit nervous if it was a big role? Maybe you would have thought it would have been a great thing it was a big role. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets brought in to us by Sam, who writes, Hey, John. So after receiving its rating, uh, new news has come out for Godzilla versus King Kong. This time is that Junkie XL will compose the film's score. Does this news confirm that the film will hit its November 20th release date now that now that theaters are reopening? Also, are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong? I want to see Godzilla crush Kong and show him who is the true king. Thanks and have a good day. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. Well, listen, I'll tell you straight up. I am uh, in the in the who is whose team are you on? Are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong? I am firmly in the camp of Team Kong. 
I what? am. Uh, I yep. I want to see Kong. You know, you just bongo the hell out of Godzilla. That's what I. And I love Godzilla. I do. I like them both. I like them both. But I'm going to be finding myself when I'm sitting there with my bucket of popcorn in November, cheering on Team Kong, ladies and gentlemen. Definitely Team Kong. Okay, but that fast forwards to this. Obviously, Kong and the release date of Godzilla v. Kong has been a little bit of a question mark right now. It's set for November. There's been some rumors and whispers and, you know, a book release date and whatever that have suggested it's going to move. So now they've announced that Junkie XL is stepping in and he's going to be doing the uh, composing for the film. Now, we have seen, before you start thinking this is really, really last second, we've seen a lot, lot closer last seconds of composers stepping in. I mean, hell, just Rogue One we had was like a month before the movie came out. They swapped the Michael Giacchino came on board to to do that one. So here was a June, July, August, September, October. This is five months. I mean, Junkie XL can probably stay. And he may have already been working on it for the last three months and they just never announced it for all we know. Does this confirm then that Godzilla versus Kong is going to hit that release date. I don't think that confirms it, but it certainly plays to its favor. I mean, everything we've been hearing lately about theaters reopening, NATO saying this, AMC saying that, Regals, everything seems to be pointing towards that. And with them making this announcement and bringing Junkie XL in at this point, I think it it more reaffirms the November 20th date. But I wouldn't be naive enough at this point, Rob, to say that I think it verifies 100% locks and concrete that number 20th is going to be the date. But really, at this point, I don't see any reason to not believe that Godzilla versus Kong is going to hit this date. Rob, for you, two questions. Number one, what do you think about the addition of Junkie XL to compose the score for Godzilla Defeated by Kong? Which I think is going to be the new title of the movie, Godzilla Defeated by Kong. And and the second question is, is this. Do you think the announcement of him at this point lends the idea that it will hit that release date or do you think maybe it means the opposite maybe you know there's only five months to go maybe it means they are going to push it out further what's your thoughts on all this well i think no i think this is the normal process of post-production i'm a huge junkie xl fan like i his his um score for bad max fury road when, when i had that i played that incessantly in my car for like a month so if if i can get that kind of action you know, <laughs> monster battle soundtrack music that he could provide. I'm all about that. I mean, bring that on. In terms of, you know, I have no doubt that they'll be able to finish the movie in time. They had an extended post-production schedule anyway. So it really just depends, John, is how the opening of all these movie theaters goes. I think it'll absolutely meet that date. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Again, I don't think it's a guarantee by any stretch of the no. imagination right now, but I think everything is looking good and everything's to be on course. I mean, hell, right now, there, it still looks like the July opening day, uh, movies with Tenet, Mulan. It still right now looks like those are going to hit those dates. Not for sure. There's still a question mark on those. But, you know, Unhinged, Unhinged says they're coming out on June 1st or on July 1st. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think November 20th is looking good. Question is, guys, what do you think about the addition of Junkie XL to doing the score for Godzilla versus Kong? And do you think that points towards that it will indeed hold that November release date? I'm thinking it looks good, but it's certainly no guarantee. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets sent in to us by... Gab, who writes, Hey, John, a couple of weeks ago, I sent you a message saying that Artemis Fowl had moved to streaming. The reviews are out, and the movie has a score of 
Well, actually, it doesn't anymore, but we'll talk about that in a second. At the time I'm writing, this has got a 13%. Guess the movie is just as bad as it looked. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Artemis Fowl, ladies and gentlemen. Artemis Fowl, the movie that everybody said looked terrible. And I was the only guy to say, man, I actually think the trailer looks okay. I was like, everybody else said the trailer looked terrible. I thought the trailer looked okay. Be that as it may. They then made the move. Disney said they were going to move it to streaming on Disney+. Plus. Now, this, of course, was not a big surprise with all the delays going on and everything. There's only so much room in release schedules to put these movies out. Something had to give. They chose Artemis Fowl. Now, despite the fact that I thought Artemis Fowl, the trailer, I thought was actually okay. I, I thought it was pretty good. It became kind of clear to me that Disney is ditching this one because this is the one they don't have confidence in. Uh, this is the one that they know people did not like the trailers, except for that one uh, idiot Canadian who thought it looked all right. But everybody else doesn't like our trailer for Artemis Fowl. They clearly didn't have a lot of faith in it, and therefore they dumped it. Well, the reviews for Artemis Fowl are now out, ladies and gentlemen. The movie has hit streaming. I believe it's out on Disney Plus now. Has hit streaming. And it's not good, Rob. It's not good. Uh... As, of, as of right now, Artemis Fowl holds a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, with a 27% audience score rating. Now, no use paying attention to the audience score rating because unlike movies that are, get released in theaters, uh, they cannot um, uh, they cannot verify that people have or have not seen this on Disney+. Plus. But still, not great. 12%, and that's with 74 reviews in. So it's not like there's only four or five reviews. 74 reviews counted, 12%, 27 uh, uh, audience rating and score. I, I don't know what to say about this. Rob, you know that my thoughts, when they made the move, we talked about the fact that I, I think this, this suggests to us that Disney doesn't have a lot of faith in this movie. If this is the one they're going to pluck out and just kind of throw to the streaming gods as their volcano sacrifice, it doesn't bode well. Now, it didn't automatically mean that. I mean, the movie could have been good, and they just may have thought, this is the movie that's not going to make money in theaters, even though it's good. But if you've right. got a YA novel like Artemis Fowl, a big budget Disney production, if it's good, it's going to make money, right? I mean, if this was great, it would have made money. And so it just kind of became these things. Now, actually, Rob, just as a side note, I just want to point out to people, two other big movies have come out today. One is The Five Bloods, with, uh, that was directed, of course, by Spike Lee. It's got a 90%. But again, we all kind of knew when they when it was that one was going to go straight to Netflix. Anyway, this is a movie that unlike Black Klansman, Spike Lee's previous brilliant film, it didn't have a lot. It didn't have that hook that I think would have made a lot of money at the theaters. So this was a good one to go. And by the way, King of Staten Island, uh, the other big release today on streaming, also not bad. I thought the trailer to that looked surprisingly decent. Uh, right now, it's got a 70 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But again, probably not a movie that would have done big business at the box office. You can understand that. But Artemis, Artemis Fowl, uh, this is a movie that, again, I'm convinced, had it been good, they would have cleaned up. I, I think they would yeah. have cleaned up on this. So anyway, Rob, uh, you see that 12% rating on Rotten Tomatoes for Artemis Fowl. Oh. Uh, shock, surprise. What's your reaction to it? Look, man, you know, I, I want every movie to be great. Movies are so hard to make, and especially fantasy films. When I see literary adaptations of beloved works like this seem to 
go belly up or pear shaped. I, I, dude, how can you not be sad? I, I feel bad for this movie, and I wish that, um, I wish it was good. Didn't Kenneth Branagh direct this? Uh, yeah, yeah. The I mean, great Kenneth Branagh, who directed, directed it, our and... beloved, our beloved Cinderella with Lily James. Yeah, and all the great Shakespearean stuff. He, Lord, he, uh, oh man, it, it, I mean, all the way around, this is a disappointment. Yeah, I, I, it, I'm really sad to hear it. I wanted this movie to be good. I've never read Artemis Fowl. I don't have any vested interest in Artemis Fowl, but, you know, it just looked like a good, high, fun adventure. Maybe this could become a, a big, fun franchise. You had Kenneth Branagh in there. I wanted this to be so good. And who knows? I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I'll think it's great when I see it. Maybe, but doesn't look good. does not look good. Anyway, guys, the question for you is, have you had a chance to run on there and see Artemis Fowl yet? If not, what are your expectations be? Are you surprised by the critic ratings on this Disney property right now? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Hendo Merrick, who writes, Hello, John and Rob. I was underwhelmed with the PS5 announcement earlier, but I got to admit, I got really excited to see they're coming out with a Spider-Man Miles Morales game. It could be a game. There's a lot of suggestions out there that it's going to be a a really high-end, uh, you know, additional kind of add-on to the original Spider-Man game. But whether what it is or isn't, we'll find out soon. They didn't show much, but the game doesn't come out for another five or six months. Do you think Sony is taking a step towards Miles Morales in animated form and now in game form brings us closer to a live action Miles Morales Spider-Man movie. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And yes, yesterday, of course, a lot of people were excited because PS5 did their big announcement and I watched a bunch of it. Eh, I thought it was all right. Whatever. I do like the PlayStation platform. I like the PlayStation platform very much. I thought the announcement was all right. Whatever. But of course, the big thing was the thing about Spider-Man Miles Morales. And this comes to us from The Verge, right? Spider-Man Miles Morales, the sequel to 2018's PS4 exclusive Spider-Man, is officially heading to the PS5, Sony announced today at its PlayStation 5 gameplay event. A teaser trailer showed off a first look at the upcoming sequel. Miles Morales appeared in developer Insomniac Games' Spider-Man as a playable character, but it wasn't until the end of the game when the character was bit by a radioactive spider, setting up the newly announced sequel. This comes to us again from The Verge. It is an interesting thing. So there's not much. I don't want to talk about the game itself too much um, and all that kind of stuff. It was interesting looking. They didn't show much. But it does raise the question. With Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse being as brilliant as it was and winning an Academy Award. Now with them moving forward and doing Miles Morales and highlighting Miles Morales in their PS5 content. Could all this stuff suggest that we might be on the verge of seeing Sony taking steps to bring us a live action Miles Morales. Let me get my thoughts on this. The first thing that should be pointed out is I have said for quite a while that I don't believe that we're going to see a live action Miles Morales movie. I mean, obviously we've seen Miles Morales uh, kind of referenced in Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. But I, I've, I've said for a while that I don't expect that we're going to see a live action Miles Morales movie per se, for a couple of reasons, which we'll go into in a second. That said, though, even I, 
who have been saying for a while that I don't expect this to happen. I mean, for live action, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. I've been saying that. But I think there's enough anecdotal evidence starting to pile up here that one has to consider that possibility. I think there's enough anecdotal stuff here that one absolutely must consider the possibility that we are on the verge of maybe sometime in the next couple of years getting some sort of announcements from Sony that we're going to get this. Let's look at some of this anecdotal information. Number one, again, we mentioned Spider-Verse. That was a much bigger hit for them than they thought it would be. It's particularly when it came to the critic reviews, to the audience response, how good the film was. It won the Academy Award, all that kind of stuff. Great. So there's a lot of momentum there. Maybe that was a part of the reason why, but we've gotten a lot of now momentum, if you will, and the popularity of the Miles Morales character. That's building on it. Now, one of the big things everybody's popping about coming out of this PS5 announcement is the fact that we have this Miles Morales, whether it's a big major add-on DLC sort of thing for the original game or whether it's a true sequel or whatever, whatever, that's irrelevant. They're building on that and now coming out with Miles Morales. When you look at those three factors, the success of Spider-Verse, this whole thing with the game, the growing popularity of the character, I got to say, it is changing my tune. My tune is changing. You know, as new information gets, re you know, uh, revealed to us, we've got to consider changing what our thoughts are. And I am starting to lean a little bit more towards the idea that, you know what, they very well could be setting up a live action Spider-Man project at some point, riding this wave of momentum. Now, Rob, the thing working against it right now is the same thing that has always worked against it, which is this. It all depends on their deal with Marvel. Because I have a suspicion that in their deal with Marvel, that as long as Marvel has a live action Spider-Man going on in the MCU that Sony is the distributor of, then Sony won't work against that by having a different version of a live action Spider-Man in their Venomverse, if you will, all going at the same time. So depending on the details of that deal, that to me is still the biggest roadblock in their way. That is still the biggest obstacle that could very well put the kibosh on any discussions of a live action Miles Morales. So I'll say this, barring something contractual that bars Sony from doing a live action Spider-Man while there's another live action Spider-Man running around in the MCU, barring that, and that's a huge, huge hurdle, I think maybe they are looking at moving in that direction at this point. Rob, you're looking at this whole thing. Do you think all these pieces of the puzzle are adding up to something, or is it just random pieces of the puzzle? How do you see it? Well, after the Academy Award win of Into the Spider-Verse, I think you'd be crazy not to consider that this character really works on the big screen in animated form. So it's not a big leap to think that we could make a film, a live action movie out of it. I mean, that character was so winsome and appealing in, in that movie that I would love to see it live action. I got to tell you, I know you saw very little of the game and all that, but I kind of got chills when I watched that trailer, you know, and, and, and just seeing you're like, okay, this is the possibility of how this looked or could look. Uh, and especially if they went for a more, I don't know, stylized approach to it because maybe it's a different universe or something. Oh, we had Rob uh, had a had a slight has had a slight hiccup there. Rob's got a slight hiccup Miles there. Miles Morales movie. Okay, he's I would back. totally see that. 
Sorry, you froze there for a second. Sorry about that. We just so, just so everybody oh. knows, we've been having Skype has been having an issue uh, most of the day, and but we're we're able to work through it. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think you're it's right, awesome. Though. My my point was it'd be awesome. <laughs> All right, question here is for you guys. What do you think about this? As a matter of fact, I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. So the question of the day today, uh, which I put up on uh, on our community tab on our YouTube channel, if, guys, if for no other reason, that's a good reason to make sure you're subscribed to our channel, is for all the posts and announcements and, and polls that are going to be in our community tab on, on YouTube. Uh, the question of the day that I asked you guys was this. I put this up just before we started, where it's I asked, with the PS5 game... Uh, the Oscar for Spider-Verse and his growing popularity, do you think Sony could move on doing a live-action Miles Morales movie within the next five years? Right now, as of right now, about 2,500 of you guys have chimed in on that. And right now, overwhelmingly, 82% of you are saying, yeah, you think they're going to do that. Again, I think the big roadblock is going to be what's the live-action you know, deal between Marvel and Sony. But as of right now, 82% of you guys are saying, yes, you do believe they will, in fact, do a live action Miles Morales within the next five years. And only right now, 18% of you guys are saying that, no, you don't think that will be the case. So let's ask you guys here. What do you think? You know, take all of it in consideration. The deal, the fact that we do have a live action Spider-Man right now, the fact that the game, the Spider-Verse movie, the growing popularity of Miles Morales. What do you think? Do you think within the next five years, Sony, within their own universe, could introduce a live action Miles Morales Spider-Man movie? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, we're going to move on to our live questions here in just a minute. But we are going to let Rob take off at this point. Uh, Rob, we know you got a lot of stuff you got to do today. Thanks for being here. We'll, of course, see you back again on Monday. But in the meantime, where can people find you and all your adventures online? You can find me on Twitter still at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. And, John, let me just say a very happy anniversary to you and Anne. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Yes, it is Anne and mine's 10th anniversary today. Uh, thank you for that, Rob. And uh, I'll see you when I get back. We'll talk to you on Monday, my friend. Have a good, have a good trip. All right. Take care, dude. All right, guys. Uh, and it is, yeah, it's mine and Ant's 10th anniversary. We are actually, as soon as we're done this show, Ann and I are jumping in the car and uh, we're going to San Diego. We're going to go down to San Diego for the weekend. We're going to go stand in line at Hall H. We're going to pretend like Comic-Con is actually happening. Uh, so we're going to go do that this weekend. But before Ann and I take off to go celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary, I'm going to take a short little break here, guys. Give myself a chance to rest the vocal cords, stretch my legs, go refill my drink, give you a chance to run and use the bathroom. So hang tight, guys. Don't go anywhere. I will be right back. We are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as I took a little bit of a break there. And now let's dive right in and start taking your live questions. By the way, I saw in the live chat, thank you all for the well wishes for Ann and I and our anniversary. It is our 10th. It's crazy. It is our 10th wedding anniversary. And uh, I'm looking forward to going down to the beautiful city of San Diego, the whale's vagina. All right, let's move on here. First question up today comes to us from Usual Suspects who writes... I understand the need to be smart and safe, but so many people act as if they go to a theater or restaurant, it's a foregone conclusion that they will get a virus and a foregone conclusion that they will be hospitalized. I mean, that's true, but honestly, in a situation like this, just be honest, speaking for myself, I think if everybody was that paranoid, this virus would have been gone by now. 
if everybody was that paranoid, and I'm not that paranoid, but if everybody was that paranoid, this virus would have been gone. You know, one of the reasons they say, you know how New Zealand has basically kicked this thing's ass? You know, their leader was basically, I was watching a video saying, we just really made it important to our, all of our citizens to understand and do this. Our philosophy was everybody act like you've got it already. Everybody act like you've got it. Because if you've got it, you're going to try to take care of the people around you. You're going to try to make sure you don't give it to other people. I know. And they've kicked its ass. So, yeah, I, I don't mind. a little. Look, honestly, in a situation like this, I don't mind a little paranoia from people. Now, I think it's also important to understand the reality of the situation. But, I mean, I don't blame people right now. Like, listen, you're hearing like over 100 and getting close to 150,000 people in the United States alone have already died of this thing in just a few months. So, you can get it. I mean, I, I get it. There's a little bit of paranoia. Anyway, number uh, next up, Peter Pacheco writes, uh, I hope all is well, all is well, all is well. On the DC Universe, since I am a subscriber, do you think that all this content will flow to HBO Max? Also, because I liked reading the comics on there uh, that I did not have, do you think they will give a discount or something to people that have used the DC Universe? Uh, what do you think they will do with the comics? Also, being a Roku user, I'm still waiting patiently. Stay safe. Hot toys buying, uh, buying is an issue, LOL. All right, thanks for writing that in, Peter. And yeah, listen, I've been saying for a long time that I believe what they're going to ultimately do with the DC streaming service is just have it absorbed at some point, at least many parts of it, I think are just going to straight up be absorbed directly into um, HBO Max. I think that's ultimately the direction they're going to go. Now, I don't know that for sure, and I'm not saying that's a definite, but it just seems like that makes sense the way they're doling out the properties right now. Whether they'll give a discount? No, they should. No, they won't give a If they just absorb DC Universe, they won't give a discount to previous DC, which I am a subscriber to the DC Universe. But no, I don't think they're going to give us a discount, nor do I think they should. Um, as far as the comic stuff goes, the comics, the ability to read the comics on the DC Universe streaming app is one of the big, you know, things that appeals to a lot of people, or at least maybe not a lot of people, but some people. They either need to spin that off as its own service or... Or why not absorb that into HBO Max too? Why not make HBO Max as diverse and you know um, uh, serve as many people in the audience as possible? Like, so if you're going to absorb, if you're going to absorb a lot of the DC Universe content into HBO Max anyway, why not bring in the um, the whole element of the comic stuff as well? It just seems to make sense to me. All right, thanks for that, Peter. Next up, Quirky Joe writes. Hey, John and crew, some awesome 80s movies I'm discovering during the lockdown. Dreamscape, Sleepaway Camp, Q, a.k.a. Q the Winged Serpent. I'm not, I haven't seen that one. Uh, Streets of Fire, The Fourth Man, and Ten to Midnight. The 80s sure were a fun decade. Listen, I don't know that there's any era of movies that has its own identity as a time period like 80s movies do. Right. You can watch a bunch of black and white movies. You'll have no idea what decade they came from. You, you'll know they happened like 1960s or earlier, but you'll have a lot of black and white movies you can watch and maybe have no idea where it came from. But there's something about the 80s movies that when you watch a movie and it's almost regardless of genre, whether it's a comedy, an action film, a horror film, whatever, you watch almost any movie from the 80s. And you've got a pretty good shot uh, at figuring out, oh, this movie, this movie was from the 80s. All right, Estevelle writes, 
Sorry, guys, but I don't totally buy the argument of HBO Max being incompetent by losing all these DC movies a month after. I feel like this was a scammy move to get people to sign on for the service. It doesn't make sense. Oh, no, Esteval, that's exactly what I was saying. Listen, they knew HBO Max. We were talking the other day about all these movies that HBO Max is losing after one month of being in existence. They knew that their rights their streaming rights to those movies were going to go to somebody else one month later. They knew that. But I I agree, it was kind of scammy of them because they used movies like Wonder Woman, like Batman versus Superman. They used these movies in their promotion to say, hey, everybody sign up for HBO Max. Knowing full well that just one month after HBO Max launches, those movies are leaving the platform. For how long? We don't know. Will they come back? I have no doubt that they will. But I just don't, We none of us know how long that's going to be. So I, I completely agree. And I think that speaks to the incompetence of their launch team. Everything from the Roku, the Amazon stuff, the, the titles that were missing on launch, now the titles that are leaving just after launch. I, I think it speaks to a very, very bad launch team. I think HBO Max is going to be awesome. It will eventually be awesome because it's HBO and they're great. But yeah, they they absolutely butchered and dropped the ball on the, on the whole launch. Anyway, Sempigar writes, all the talk about horror stuff today. I remember Schnepp telling a story where he said he'd edited a tape of the Blair Witch Project without the credits, etc., and showed it to a friend that hadn't seen it yet. Uh, they told him he found it or something too funny. Listen, some people don't remember this, but back when the Blair Witch Project came out, a lot of people thought it was real. There were a lot of people who thought that stuff was real. And that's exactly what they were going for. They were going to, they were trying to give it as authentic of a feel as possible. And there were a lot of people out there who were duped, who actually thought, oh, this is actually a movie that was edited together out of found footage in the woods. And that's what they were going for. So the fact that Schnepp was able to, uh, to get, get people on that is not really a big surprise. Plus, Schnepp had the ability to really sucker people into stuff when he wanted to. All right. Next up, Darklock63 writes, HBO, why be shady? Uh, we are owned by AT&T. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Again, listen, I understand that when you have streaming services like Netflix, movies come. And movies have to go different. They all have their own deals. They have their own streaming rights. Certain movies have are going to be on one platform for a certain amount of time. Then the deal either has to be renegotiated or they have to move on. Blah blah. blah. I get that. Again, I just so I'm not blaming HBO or specifically I don't blame HBO Max for the fact that they're going to have movies leave this platform and come back on. I don't mind that. I understand that streamers have rotations. I just thought it was shady that they used a lot of these movies in their promotion for why you should come sign up for HBO Max when they knew full well that, oh yeah, and like in, in a month after we launch, they're leaving the platform. For how long, we don't know, but I, I agree. I thought that was a little bit shady. An anonymous viewer writes, thanks, John. The Blue Yeti is working. Oh, that's good to hear. The Blue Yeti is working now. You were right. Uh, the speakers were set to Yeti. Once I changed it back to default, I can now hear everything. You should do more tech Q&A show. So what happened was, was this anonymous viewer wrote in, a few days ago, uh, just uh, ask me for tech advice because they use a Blue Yeti USB microphone, which you see a lot of YouTubers use this microphone. And I have one myself. I've used it. It's great. But they said, when I plug it in, I can't hear anything anymore. And what I explained to them is when you plug in a USB mic, 
even though it's not a speaker, sometimes your computer will recognize that sound device as now your default input device as a microphone, but sometimes it also recognizes it as your output device. Like it thinks, oh, you plugged in the sound device. You must want to use it as your speakers. And of course, it's not a speaker, so no sound comes out. But we were able to walk anonymous through it, and he was able to get it fixed. Thanks for letting me know, man. I'm glad you're able to get it to work. All right, Jay Vet writes, John, you are a film hero, and sorry villains like Jellyfish and Grace Randolph, uh, hashtag uh, restraining order, try to bring you down uh, to their level. Uh, keep rising above. Uh, what are your thoughts on whether dine-in theaters or traditional theaters will be easier to bring online? Well, okay, first of all, let's say this. I appreciate the sentiments about Jay Washington and Grace Randolph. I do. I appreciate those sentiments. But, um, listen, uh, Jay decided to... to start something publicly online, I responded. Grace, at one point, a long time ago, decided to start something, and I responded. But listen, Grace and I have had an unspoken truce for, for years, so let's not... And I, I and listen, what, I, what I, I would appreciate, guys, is listen, I appreciate the support, I do. Jay said something, I responded. Grace had said something, I responded. I, what I don't want to do now is for us to use our questions or our chat board to now continue on uh, gang piling on either of those two or anybody else for that matter. You know, I, I believe I, it was appropriate for me to respond when something was said and done on that level, but now it's done. So I appreciate the support, but let's not use the questions or chat to, to continue to gang pile on either of these people. Like I said, Grace Randolph and I, we've been, we've had an unspoken truce for years. So she does some good stuff and let's, let's just, so let's not do that anymore. I appreciate the sentiment, but let's not do that anymore. Uh, regarding what's going to be easier to bring, uh, regular theaters or, or dine-in theaters. Oh, it's going to be, listen, everything about a regular theater is easier than a dine-in theater. Everything about a regular theater is easier. So it's going to be easier to bring regular theaters back online. The one ad advantage that dine-in theaters have is because of the additional space needed to be a dine-in theater, that means they have fewer seats in their theaters in the first place. In an era where there's going to be restrictions on theaters reopening, that's going to work to their benefit. But again, everything about running a regular theater is uh, is easier than a dine-in theater. So there's that. Thanks for the question, Jay. All right, next up, Willow writes, Do movies like Star Wars prequels, which are huge but received quite a bit of backlash from fans, help or hurt the careers of the actors in them? I mean, I don't know. Listen, there have been some really big, big, like Anthony Hopkins has been in a couple of really crappy movies. It has not affected the legacy of Anthony Hopkins um, or Sir Anthony, as I should refer to him. It all depends on the person. Listen, uh, Daisy Ridley, um, despite the fact that there was a, you know, Rise of Skywalker, I don't think it was very good. But guess what? She's got a career in front of her. She's a very good actress. I think that has more to do with it than anything else. Because you can have bad movies where the actor does a pretty good job, and I think that insulates them. But, I mean, if if an actor is in, like, total disaster after total disaster after total disaster, yeah, then that becomes a PR thing. Now, the image of that actor is that when they're in a movie, it's a crappy movie. But, listen, it clearly didn't affect Ewan McGregor. Yeah, I mean, Hugh McGregor had done train spotting, sure. But it's not like the world had seen Train Spotting. Hugh McGregor was able to move on from the Star from the prequels and do and be very successful. Liam Neeson's career didn't slow down after doing that movie uh, whatsoever. So 
No, I don't think there's a correlation. I don't think it's necessarily a correlation. There are circumstances where it can, many that it doesn't. So I don't think there's an automatic correlation there personally, but that's just me. All right, next up, uh, Damo Davies writes, a great example of a guy if a guy likes a girl, but the girl's boyfriend is actually a good guy is in Superman Returns. That's one of the things that I talked about when I first talked about Superman Returns. I pointed that out, that it's rare that movies do that, uh, where Lois is with Perry White's son, and he's a genuinely great guy, uh, who is, of course, the same guy who was just in um, Sonic, and he was also Cyclops in the X-Men films. Yeah, I that is that, this is all coming from a discussion we had on the show the other day. I said one of my biggest pet peeve tropes about movies is the hero lo- likes a girl, but the girl is with somebody, and therefore the somebody the girl is with is always a jerk. Because we don't want the audience to feel bad about rooting that the hero is trying to steal somebody else's girlfriend or wife, right? So they almost always, when the hero likes a girl and the girl is already with a guy, the guy is 95% of the time in every TV show and movie, 95% of the time is a total jerk and a-hole. So that makes, so we can feel okay that the hero is trying to steal that guy's wife or girlfriend, right? So then we're okay with it. But you're right, every once in a while, they do it differently, and that is a great example of that demo. All right, next up, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, what happened after Finland closed its borders? Nobody could, uh nobody could cross the finish line. Oh, no, I'm not going to get, see, I'll give you a lot of them, Fifty. Sometimes you send in some good ones. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the groan for that one, though. I'm, I'm going to give you the groan for that one, Fifty. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, John, Predator 2, the movie that started the link between the Alien and Predator franchise, because they had that little thing of the uh, of the alien skeleton, uh, casts Bill Paxton as a comedic supporting actor, just like the second installment of Alien, with Stephen Hopkins at uh, a time traveler sent to many to to marry the franchises. No, I don't think so. You know, it's 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 funny because I was just in a discussion again about Predator 2, which. You know, I've been surprised lately that there are more people that like that movie than I thought. Now, I am not a big fan of Predator 2. All right. I just wasn't. I thought it was a big step down from the original. But and I just kind of thought everybody disliked it. But I've had some conversations lately where I'm finding out actually more people like that movie for its on its own merits than I really thought in the first place. But anyway, Anonymous, no, I do not believe they were there to marry the franchises. But it is a cool little piece of trivia there. That's a good piece of trivia. All right. Uh, Taj and Cars writes, Sorry I sent today's Predator 2 question. Oh, that's the one. That's your Anonymous. Anonymously, but nope. It's just Taj and Cars again. No problem, Taj. Thanks for uh, giving me the update on that. M. Dorcher writes, have you seen The Tempest from 2010? Uh, it's Shakespeare-based film with Helen Mirren as a female version of Prospero. It also stars Felicity Jones, Alan Cumming, and Jaimon Hansu. I did, and actually, if I'm being honest, I did not like it that much. Despite the fact that I am a sucker for, um, uh, for sh- anything kind of Shakespearean, I'm a sucker for that stuff. On top of all that, it was directed by Julie Taymor. Now, Julie Taymor... Um, it's right. She did that Beatles musical. Hold on a second. Let me bring up. Uh, let me get uh, Julie uh, uh, Tamor IMDb. She did that musical Across the Universe. Hold on a second. Let me just bring it up here. Um, yes, Across the Universe. I didn't mind Across the Universe. She also did Titus and Frida. And I like her as a director very much. Um, but 
Yes, Julie Tamor doing Across the Universe. That also had a Jim Sturgis and Evan Rachel Wood. Right. Um, but I got to admit, I wasn't a big fan of Tempest. Despite the fact, again, like I said, I am a big fan of, of that kind of material. It wasn't one that really worked for me, despite the fact that I do like the director and a lot of her work. But that was one that just didn't work for me personally. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Major Tom writes, cheesy monster movie of the day. Prophecy from 1979. It's a movie about a mutated bear wrecking havoc in a forest in Maine. There's a funny scene where a kid in a sleeping bag gets smacked into a rock by the bear for a PG movie. It's pretty violent. I have not heard of this. Hold on a second. What's it called? Prophecy. Let me bring this up. Um, Prophecy. 1995. No, yours is 1979. Prophecy, 1979. A log company's waste mutates the environment, creating a giant killer bear monster. Oh my gosh! I got to bring up. Let me bring up the. Uh, let me bring up the uh, the poster of that. There it is. It sounds a. It sounds like a Toxic Avengers ripoff. I'm not gonna lie. It sounds a little bit like a Toxic Avengers ripoff. But I'm whatever. I'm there. I'm with it. All right. Next up, uh, morally or morality in films rights. Over under 20%, within our lifetimes, actors will get uh, canceled for having played a racist in a period piece. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, any more than, oh, an actor who played Adolf Hitler in a thing gets branded as a Nazi. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, we see some crazy things, yes. But I don't think anybody's going to cancel an actor for portraying a role. Uh, at least I don't think so. But under normal circumstances, no. So I'm going to take the under 20% on that. And I'm certainly going to hope for the under 20% on that. All right. Uh, H. James 78 writes, For the person who thinks growing up with the show Avatar is needed to enjoy it and not see it as a kid's show, let me say this. I was in my 30s when, I first aired, when it first aired. I just finished the show last week for the first time, and I loved it, so no to that. Oh, and I agree. Yeah. I just watched it for the first time. I really enjoyed it. Like the first season was good. I liked the first season, but it it is the more particularly childish. But even while it was being childish, that show was laying some really great mythology. And you meet the prince and and uh, his uncle Iro, which I thought was Iro, but then I listened to third season. They really do emphasize the I and Iro. But anyway. Uh, you know, the Dragon of the West, his Uncle Iroh, which still remain, even after finishing the series, as my two favorite characters. I'll tell you the one thing I did not like about it. This is the one thing I did not like about it. And it's not a big deal. I still thought it was great. I really enjoyed it, all that kind of stuff. But the one thing that I did not like, I didn't like the thing where they ultimately uh, hook... Uh, Ang and Katara up. I didn't like that. I, I To me, that felt icky in a way. So, meh. Yeah, I didn't like it. Uh, and then they carry that on, of course, in Legend of Korra. But that was the one thing I didn't like. But other than that, I thought it was really great. And it really does pick up in season two and into season three. And the way the mythology. And they, they so clearly planned this entire series out before they started. I mean, it's just very, very well done. I really appreciated it. All right. Um, Dumbledore Calrissian writes, Hey, John, I'm so glad you're enjoying Avatar The Last Airbender. Just a heads up between seasons two and three Mako. Yeah, I did know about this. Uh, the voice of the actor who played Uncle Iroh passes, passed away. So they had a different voice actor for season three. He did a good job, but it's weird at first. No, listen, I knew that going into season three and they did whoever they got to do the voice of Iroh after, you know, obviously the passing of Mako. 
he did a really good job. Now, they minimized... Uncle Iroh has minimal amount of dialogue in season three, which I really would have liked to have seen more Uncle Iroh. But you're right. The, the guy they got, whoever it was, did a really good job of... I mean, you could tell it wasn't Mako, but it... Man, he did a good job sounding like Mako. You know what I mean? Uh, all right, next up... Um, Ant writes, when I was 11, I saw the trailer for The Haunting 1999 and couldn't sleep for weeks. Scared the hell out of me. My favorite horror might just be an episode of Black Mirror called Playtest. I've seen it a few times and always call my mom when it ends. I Listen, for me, I've never watched a trailer that freaked me out all that much. But there have certainly been a couple of movies that have. Obviously, I talk a lot about the original American Werewolf in London. That one, to this day, freaks me out. That That is probably the only horror movie that truly, truly freaks me out. Don't know why, but it does. I can't think... The other one that really freaked me out as a kid, like to the point that after watching it, I had to ask my mom to be in my room as I fell asleep, uh, was Jaws. Uh, yeah, was was Jaws. That movie freaked me out. I didn't want to go. and I didn't even want to get into a swimming pool after that. Uh, that was one that really did that to me. I've never seen Black Mirror, though. So I can't comment on Black Mirror because I've, I've never personally seen Black Mirror. So there's that. But yeah, there. Yeah, man, that stuff. Uh, when a good horror movie really gets under your skin. That's 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 when a horror movie has done its job, man. All right. Next up, Julius A. Goodwin writes. I was watching Luke Cage the other day and realized that after Mahershala Ali's Cottonmouth character left the show is when it seemed to go downhill. Is it me or were Marvel's small screen shows even more rel uh, reliant on good villains um, than the big screen MCU? Yeah, that that's true. Listen, I, I'm with you on Luke Cage. I loved the first half of the first season of Luke Cage. Loved it. And listen... TV show, movie, whatever, when you have a great antagonist, it elevates everything else. Having a great antagonist elevates everything else. I'll tell you right now, I'm not sure if it wasn't for, um, you know, the villain in um, uh, uh, Die Hard, if it wasn't for Hans Gruber, I don't know that we are still talking about Die Hard today. Die Hard is a, is a good little action film that we probably don't talk about much today, but you take that movie and you add one of the great on-screen antagonists in history and it elevates it. Everything elevates, you know? So there's, and, and I think you're right. I think that the shows depend even more. I mean, look, would we be talking as grandly about Daredevil? Look, Daredevil is still great without their kingpin. But you put Vincent D'Onofrio in there as Kingpin, it elevated everything else, right? A great villain elevates. So I, I think you're right, Julius. I think the TV shows maybe even relied a little bit more on the on a great marquee antagonist than maybe even the movies do. All right, next up, Nate Dog writes, it's great to see you back again, Rob, who's not here right now. Uh, you were missed. Also, I'm a PNW man, and this in his 50s. Uh, so maybe for that reason, I often find myself agreeing with what you say. Probably talking about Rob. Anyway, I appreciate your astute and timely observations, John. Uh, you'll love living in Seattle. That's still a little ways away. Probably around October, November is when we're looking at moving to Seattle. But I am looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. So thank you for that, Nate Dog. I appreciate that. And thanks for watching the show, man. And I'll make sure I pass that along to Rob as well. All right, Cody. Cordy writes, 
Um, hi, John. Just watched the Barry Levinson directed movie Sleepers with Brad Pitt, Kevin Bacon, Jason Patrick, Robert De Niro, and Dustin Hoffman. It's a great movie. Not going to spoil that movie. Watch it knowing nothing. Also, it's hard to watch. It is. It is. There are certain. Well, no, let me put it this way. I think with Sleepers, there are moments and elements that are hard to watch, right? It's not like say what's one we often go to when talking about movies that are hard to watch like a schindler's list so we're just as a whole that's who brilliant one of the all-time great movies difficult to watch but i agree we haven't and by the way who i'm it's it's killing me who wrote that movie give me a second who wrote that damn movie hold on a second uh sleepers uh and by the way that new kevin bacon horror movie um you should have left is, is looking really really good um who wrote that damn thing again? Oh, it's not who I was thinking of. Never mind. No, no. It was Barry Levinson also wrote the screenplay for it based on the original book, but I was thinking somebody else wrote it. Um, anyway, so wrong about that. But anyway, yes, that's one that, and listen, look at that cast again. Let's bring it up again. Kevin Bacon, Robert De Niro, uh, Minnie Driver, by the way, was in that. Oh God, I loved Minnie Driver uh, for so very long. Uh, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt, Brad Renfro was in there as well. It was a pretty stacked movie. All right. Jordan uh, Genovese writes, John, is Star Wars and Star Trek not the same thing? Uh, LMAO, if you know, you know. Yeah, so that was, of course, the Aaron. The biggest gotcha I ever had on the show was Aaron Cummings, who totally got me one time. It was, we were talking about something, and she goes, oh, yeah, because it reminds me of blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, that's Star Trek. You're thinking about Star Trek, not Star Wars. She goes, wait a minute, aren't they the same thing? And I, th I thought I was going to have an aneurysm right there. I see, I'm like, if you guys saw the show when that happened, I was like, I just froze. I totally froze. I, I didn't know what. And then, of course, everybody started breaking out in hysterics because she completely got me on that. All right. Uh, Brandon writes, hey, John, last night I went to go look at your Twitter page to find it had no tweets. I then found out others can see your tweets as well. Don't mean to put you on the spot, but did you just quit Twitter or is that a technical difficulty? No, if you've been watching the show regularly last week, uh, I started talking about, you know what? All the stuff going on on Twitter. I'm thinking I just might get off Twitter. And then, of course, I think it was on monday show monday or tuesday show i i, I said on the show it's like yeah I, I think i'm i'm gonna get off twitter it's just it, listen it just came to me to the point again i started talking about it last week that nothing good comes out of twitter i, I just realized nothing constructive comes out of twitter particularly today today twitter it just seems like people all the people use it for is to weaponize it and nothing no good comes out of twitter and I, I was actually talking to Rob about it last week, too, because, I I, you know, Rob and I were obviously working through the issues he was having as well last week. And I said, like, I'm just thinking about just getting off of it. It's I'm, I'm like, really, the only useful thing I find about Twitter is the ability to use Twitter for for polls, right, to do our question of the days. So that's the only thing I find um, useful about Twitter. And then I realized, well, you know what, on our uh, YouTube community tab you can put up polls in the YouTube community tab. So like like right now, we got 3,000 votes on today's poll, which is still hanging really, really strong in there. That positive yes, people think there will be a Miles Morales thing at 81%. So then you know what? I'm just going to... I'm just going to uh, uh, deactivate my Twitter. Now, I'm not saying... I, I much rather use... I'm much bigger on using Instagram. I'm much more positive on Instagram. I like Instagram a lot more. Um, so I'm just going to use my at John Campy for Instagram for a while. Listen, I may come back on Twitter at some point when I feel like the environment's changed. 
But uh, yeah, I just for me, and I'm not saying anybody else should get off Twitter, although there are a growing number of people getting off Twitter now. But I'm not saying people should get off Twitter. I'm just saying for me, there it's not useful. It's just destructive and toxic. And um, I, I mean, you know, and one, you know, here's the funny thing. One of the straws for me was the stuff going on on Twitter with J.K. Rowling. Now, you guys know I'm not exactly the world's biggest fan of J.K. Rowling, and I don't even really care that much. But I just looked at an issue and I thought how wildly people react to certain things. And I'm not saying J.K. Rowling was right to say the stuff that she... I'm not saying she was right, nor that I agree with her. But then I look at the reaction and the, the amount of backlash. You know, and I see somebody writing to her. One prominent person wrote about J.K. Rowling, you know, you've written a lot of words, but these are the ones you're going to be remembered for. It's like a total destruction of somebody over something. Again, it's a complicated issue. I, I'm not saying it isn't. It was a complicated issue, but... I just remember seeing that the other day again. Yeah, no, that's it. I've been talking on the show for a while that I'm thinking I'm going to get off Twitter. And it's just, yeah, for me, I, it's just a, a toxic cesspool that people use to weaponize. And I don't know. I, I just thought, yeah, I got no use for it. So I decided to get off it. And so if anybody wants to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Facebook or you can follow me on Instagram. But uh, yeah, that that's, that's that for me. All right. No problem. Thanks for asking. All right. Next up. Um, Jared's Reviews writes... Uh, where are we at here? The trailer for season two of Doom Patrol looks great. And I am uh, what I am not looking forward to is the episode with that big spider. Got me to think, though, which spider scene is more freaky? Harry Potter 2 or Return of the King? Can't watch them, so I'm curious. Well, listen, you and Aaron Cummings both. Aaron Cummings goes into this frantic fight or flight reaction whenever there's a spider anywhere. I even took Aaron. Aaron and I went to go see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And there is a scene in Spider-Man Into Spider-Verse, a short scene with a little animated spider. You know the scene where Miles gets bit. <clears throat> this little animated spider. That's on there for a second. I know Aaron doesn't like spiders. But I thought she was going to rip my arm off. Like her claws went brrrr. In, into my arm, just like, and, and into the arm. And it was like, I seriously thought I was going to die from blood loss. I thought it was going to kill me. There are some people, for, so I don't have a problem with spiders, but I, I will always go to Shelob in Lord of the Rings. Shelob in Lord of the Rings, the one in Lord of the Rings. That to me was the more freaky one, but that's just me. All right. Thanks for that, Jared. All right. Uh, James knows what's uprights. About a week ago, you're trying to come up with a show uh, that the main lead left after one season, and the show went on to still be successful. While the verdict is still out on Batwoman, uh, on Batwoman, uh, I did come up with David Caruso in NYPD Blue, 12 seasons in total. Did he leave that after the first season? And also, hmm, that might be in it. Was it just the first season that Caruso left that? One season? For some reason, I thought he was on more than that. Plus, wasn't NYPD Blue more of a an ensemble, kind of like a Law and Order? Wasn't it more of an ensemble show? Again, look, I didn't watch NYPD Blue, so I don't know. But if that's true, James, that's a good that's a good catch. If that's true, that's a good catch. Thank you. Yeah. So what came up was we were talking the other week about the notion about how. With Batwoman moving on from their lead after one season, I mentioned I can't think off the top of my head of a show, of a major network show that 
the 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 main the title character left after one season and then the show goes on to be to continue to be successful so that one might be a good pick james thanks for bringing that one up all right 50 shades of geek writes I heard you were feeling under the weather, so I decided to send you some nice hot tea, but I had a hard time putting in the envelope and sending it to the yes. So here's 10 bucks instead. Feel better. John. So what 50 is referring to is there was no John Campia show yesterday. And for those of you who are subscribed to my YouTube channel and again, keep your eyes on the community tab there. I what what days it Friday? So it was Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. I was not feeling well. there was something going on in my stomach and I was not feeling well. And I was still awake. I couldn't get to sleep. I was still awake at like 3.30 in the morning. And so like at 3.30 in the morning, I posted on the community. And it looks like most of you guys saw it. I posted on the community tabs. I said, hey, guys, listen, it's 3.30 in the morning. I'm not feeling well and I'm still awake. And I don't see myself getting to sleep anytime soon. And I don't feel good. And I don't think I'm going to take the day off. So I took yesterday off. Uh, but so, but thank you for all the well wishes you guys. And yeah, I think it's just something I ate because it came and really honestly by about noon or one o'clock in the afternoon, I was feeling pretty much back to 90%. I was, but it's just, Ooh, I don't know what it was. I must've ate something though. That just hit me the wrong way. Uh, cause I was up all night and my stomach was going and I was sweating and it's like, Oh, anyway, I'm good now. I'm good. Thank you for the well wishes though. I appreciate that. All right. Kazam, the moon man writes. Thoughts on Avi Arad as a producer. Keep in mind, he's the same guy who thought an Aunt May spy film was a good idea and also called Bratz the X-Men for Teenage Girls. Uh, has he done more harm than good for the comic book films? I don't know that I would say that because you also got to remember, listen, making a good movie is hard. All right. Making a good movie is really hard. One of the, the problems with X-Men being so successful and all that kind of stuff is everybody then suddenly thinks... Um, that, oh, it's easy. It's easy. Making, making the, all these movies and make them really good is super easy. And it's not. It's not. So, yes, he's done a couple of really bad ones, but he's also done a couple of really good ones. He was one of the producers. On, and by the way, you got to remember, the term producer is a very difficult to nail down term. Because in the, there's no really clear definitions, despite what anybody tells you. One person can have the title of a producer on a movie, and they literally didn't do anything. They maybe took two lunch meetings, connected a couple of people, uh, you know, maybe connected a potential actor with a potential director, got them to connect, and blah, blah, blah. Boom, producer credit, and that's all they did. Then you can get other producers who like tirelessly work day and night to make that movie the best that it can working in tandem with the director, giving all the support to the director, making sure all the pieces of the puzzle are there, blah, blah. So you can get, and yet they're both just called producer. So how heavily involved Arad has been in a number of these things, who knows, but a number of the films that he's been the producer on have been quite good. Venom, I thought was very good. Spider-Man homecoming. He's an executive producer on Spider-Man homecoming. I thought that was very good. Um, the first Amazing Spider-Man, I thought was very good. I thought the first Amazing Spider-Man, I thought was very, very good. Um, then a couple of really bad ones. He was a producer on Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. He was a producer on X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, uh, then he did, I thought, Incredible Hulk was good. He was a producer. Arad was a producer on the first Iron Man movie. That was really good. He was a producer on uh, the Blade series. I like the Blade series. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, he was the producer on um, Spider-Man 2. 
He was a producer on the first Spider-Man. He was a producer on, listen, and he was a producer on Blade 2. So he's done a lot of really good stuff. He's also done a number of films that were not so good. But how involved he was and how involved he was, wasn't was on any one of those given films, we'll never really know. But listen, I look at it this way. There are enough. When you just look at Blade, Blade 2, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Venom, Iron Man, um, on a, when you look over his resume, to me, there are enough wins Everybody talks about Iran. Oh, Iran's terrible. But really, have you sat down and looked at his win-loss record? Because it's not bad. I think there are enough wins on his record that says when I see him as a producer on a movie, I don't. that's not something that turns me off. I, I don't think you should be immediately turned off by that because, number one, you don't know how involved he is. But on top of that, there's a lot of really good movies that he has been a producer on. So maybe... It's not that you should be instantly and automatically excited that he's a producer on a movie, but I think there are enough wins on that resume that should prevent us from automatically being apprehensive because of it. Because again, there's a lot of wins. Look, I'm just calling it. I'm just telling you what it is. I mean, go down his list. There's a bunch of crap. Yep. It's a bunch of wins too. So I am agnostic when it comes to seeing Arad as a, as a producer on something. I don't, it doesn't turn me off. It doesn't automatically make me excited either. I, I just think it's got as good of a chance of anything as being good. So anyway, that's where I'm at with him right now. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, and don't forget, of course, the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse won the Academy Award best, best animated film. And it was the third best movie of the year. So just a lot of moving pieces to keep in mind. Uh, Swanson decoy gold writes, Finished Cobra Kai season two. This is my new guilty pleasure show. The writing and acting aren't always on point, but the story is so damn good. And I love uh, the fan service. Can't wait for season three, wherever it is. Yeah, I have not like I watched a few episodes of Cobra Kai. I am one of the guys that I was very excited about Cobra Kai coming out. I thought the concept of the show was great. And then we sat down to watch it. I got a number of episodes in and I just gave up on it. I, I tapped out. It just wasn't working for me. It worked for my wife. My wife loved it. So she kept going even when I, I ditched on it. And a lot of you guys have, have gone on and, and, and liked it. And that's great. That's awesome. I'm glad people love it. I wanted to love it. I was excited about it. It just didn't work for me. That's all. No big deal. Never didn't work for me. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know, with Cobra Kai season three. About Some people are thinking it might end up on Netflix. Some people are thinking uh, Hulu might grab it up. Who knows? I think it's the popularity of it, though. I think it's a pretty good assumption that it will happen. I'm thinking it's a good, a safe assumption to think that it will happen. But when kind of becomes a question mark. All right. Will Lambert writes, my theaters are opening up next weekend and I just splurged on tickets for the 18th, 23rd and 25th. I'm seeing the Lord of the Rings movies. I was just two when these movies started coming out. So I'm excited to see them on the big screen for the first time. Will I am. That is awesome. Because, you know, everybody knows the Lord of the Ring films, some of the best films ever made. But if you've not seen them on the big screen, if you've not seen it in a movie theater, the way to watch movies is in a movie theater. That is always going to be the best way to watch a movie, especially movies like the Lord of the Rings films. That's the way to do it. And you get to now watch it for the first time on the big screen. Dude, it's going to be your best experience with it yet. Uh, so I'm excited for you, man. And I am very excited about theaters. Theaters today uh, and, a, and a whole bunch of 
uh, counties in California, movie theaters are allowed to start opening up. Now, that doesn't mean they have to open up. Like, AMC is not ready to open up again, but they've said they will have their theaters open by July. So they're not opening up yet, but you're going to start seeing all around the, the country, you're going to see movie theaters have already started to reopen. And they're going to play some of this classic content. And Lord of the Rings, I would rush I would rush out to a movie theater today if I could watch Lord of the Rings on the big screen again. I haven't seen it on the big screen forever. So that's awesome, Will. All right, Joshua Stevens writes, uh, this is kind of a follow-up to the Sopranos question the other day. They discussed early on in the show what happens when you get whacked, that everything goes black. So basically by ending the show with... Uh, an all-black screen, they are saying he died. Uh, don't know if you watched... Oh, okay, so, this is a two, so these are two separate questions. Okay, so, uh, yeah, look, we talked the other day about the ending, like where just everything goes black. Obviously, the implied message of the show was that he got whacked. That was obviously the implied message of... For those of you who didn't watch The Sopranos, it just ends with the screen going black. I still, even knowing that, that that is the implied message of what happened, it just feels like for a lot of people who watched that show for years on end, and I was late to this, I, I watched it binging later on, like long after the show had ended, I had binged it and, and watched it. But for people who faithfully watched that show, that was that left a, a dissatisfied taste in a lot of people's mouths that we followed this guy this long for this many years up to this point to just have the screen go black. Yeah, it's an artistic expression, but it, it left a number of people who watched that show feeling dissatisfied. Like it's almost like they felt like they needed for their own sense of closure of the show. They needed to see Tony die and they were kind of robbed of that. Again, I get the artistic move of it, but I I still think they should have done it a different way, but whatever. It was a great, fantastic show. All right, next up. Joshua Stevens writes, don't know if you watch DC Legends of Tomorrow, uh, but I know you are a huge Supernatural fan and they did a crossover episode of Supernatural. If anything worth the watch just for Supernatural reference, have a great day. And okay, now listen, was it a reference or was it a crossover? Those are two different things. Like, for example, there was an episode of Supernatural. Of course, the guy who played... Sam and Dean's dad. I always forget his name. He was the comedian in um, in Watchmen. Hold a second. He's one, and then he just played the villain for the last couple of years in um, uh, in Walking Dead. And I'm freezing on his name right now, and I hate that because I love this guy as an actor. I was like, where the hell's the movie? Oh, that's the wrong one. Hold a second. I brought up the wrong one here. Uh shit sorry guys um watchman where is watchman um i can't find the movie i cannot find the movie this is so stupid anyway whatever so the actor who played sam and dean's dad was then, oh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Thank you, Ben. The actor's name is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I don't know why I froze on his name. But he was now in Walking Dead playing, you know, the villain with his baseball bat. His uh, baseball, I think the name of the baseball bat was Lucille, I think. Anyway, Supernatural then had an episode that started with Sam and Dean going into their trunk where they keep all their weapons, right? And the Luce and Lucille 
is in there. Like the from from Walking Dead is in there because it's the same actor who played their dad. And they go, oh, yeah, dad loved this. Right. It was a clear reference to to him. Jeffrey Dean also being on and there. And then Jeffrey Dean Morgan, in response, put out a tweet saying, how many times do I have to tell you boys not to touch my stuff or something like that? It was hilarious. But again, that was not a crossover. That was a reference. So now, listen, I used to watch Legends of Tomorrow. And it was never that great to me, but it was just good enough to keep watching. And then I finally tapped out after like season three. I think I tapped out on it. So I haven't seen it since. If there was an actual crossover, I want to know that because I'll go and watch it. If it's just a reference, it doesn't interest me as much. It doesn't interest me as much if it's just a reference. Uh, but guys, let me know if it's a crossover or just a reference. All right. Taj and Cars writes, holy smokes, if that was to happen, the actual voice actor even play Actual voice actor could even play Miles Morales. I know he's a little older, but he's got one of those actors, but he's got one of those actors that looks eternally 19. Um, I, I, I don't honestly, I've never understood the obsession. A lot of people have with, oh, if you're doing a live action version of this character, you got to get the person who did the voice in the animated version. I don't understand that thing. Live action and animated are different. I mean, you could, but you know, if they're doing miles in high school, yeah, get a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kid, you know, or a 21 year old dude that looks like he could pass for 16, like a Tom Holland, right? Like Tom Holland. But I don't think there's any necessity to get the voice actor from one thing to do the other. I'm not saying it's bad if they do. I'm certainly not saying it's bad if they do. I'm just saying I, I don't think there's any necessity to do that. But that's just my take on that. All right. Murray Reich writes. Uh, that season two finale of what we do in the shadows was amazing. Uh, all I can say is Guillermo was badass. Wish it was more than 10 episodes. That's how good this show is. I was pissed to be honest with you. Remember being reminded, listen, I get it. Some shows today are 10 episode seasons, eight episode seasons, whatever. But normally those are like hour long episodes. What we do in the shadows as a half hour show should be much more than 10 episodes. I was so bummed that that was the season finale. And you're right. It was great. Guillermo, Guillermo, that, that episode was amazing. Every episode this year has been amazing. I've loved every single episode of this season. I'm going to have to go back and start from episode one. I just loved it. But man, it pisses me off that as a half hour show, it's only 10 episodes. It really should be longer. And if you're not on the what we do in the shadows train, you should totally get on it because it's fantastic. Uh, okay, let's see. Murray Reich writes, uh, do you think the recent uh, rise of COVID-19 cases all over the country will delay AMC and Regal's opening soon, or are they going to open regardless, but with safety measures? They're going to open regardless, but with safety measures. Listen, I, I've believed for a while that the issue is not waiting for the the virus to go away, but rather us learning while the virus is here how to function with it existing. You know, there was a, a story in CNN I saw the other day about a hairdresser who had COVID-19, had seen over 100 clients, and none of them got it from her. Not because they were just lucky, but because she was doing the appropriate things. She wore the mask, she had gloves, she was disinfecting everything. It's not that the virus wasn't there, it's that they knew how to operate 
and to do things. And by the way, she didn't know she had, I don't believe the hairdresser knew she had COVID-19 while she was seeing her guest. I think she just found out afterwards. But the thing is, even though she thought she didn't have it, she was taking all the right steps and doing the right smart things to protect herself and protect the people who were coming in to be with her, even though she didn't think she had it. Again, it's not about waiting for it to go away. It's about everybody acting smart and doing the right things. And if you come up with a good process and a good system and everybody acts smart, then I think it really does. Does it guarantee no one's going to ever catch coronavirus from going to a movie theater or a restaurant or a grocery store or whatever? No. But if everybody acts smart and they put the right procedures in place and the right safety measures in place, you can really minimize the risk. And that's that's the best we can do right now. So I, I think they're going to move forward. I think they're confident in what they've got, and I think they're going to move forward. And we'll see. Anything's possible, though, Murray. Anything is possible. All right. The Wakandan Forever writes, for anyone who has seen Spike Lee's Malcolm X film and wants to learn more, I have two recommendations. The autobiography of Malcolm X and the greatest speech I have ever heard is uh, The Ballot or the Bullet, April 3rd, 1964. It's on YouTube. Life-changing. I mean, right now is a really great time for Spike Lee stuff because, you know, I always... Whenever I re- reference to Spike Lee, I usually go back to do the right thing. I al- I'm also a big fan of Jungle Fever. I know not everybody likes Jungle Fever. I'm a real big fan of Jungle Fever. But... I don't like everything Spike Lee's done, but Black Klansman was my second favorite movie of the year, only behind A Quiet Place. And I even had it ahead of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And all I cannot wait to watch this Defy Bloods. I cannot wait to watch this. I, I'm i going to have to wait because I can't watch it today because Ann and I are leaving for San Diego. We're going to celebrate our anniversary this weekend. But I'm very, very excited about watching it. Now is a good time. So good on you for throwing in a couple more of those as well. All right, next up. Uh, Wakanda Forever writes, We all have our areas, John. Let me help you out. Film slash documentaries on black history and civil rights from a black man's perspective. Freedom Riders, uh, When the Leaves, When the Levees Broke. That was That's another Spike Lee one, his kind of documentary on that. Uh, Eyes on the Prize, 13th, The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. 13th is one we've actually talked about about a bunch on the show. Actually, when Aaron was on the show the other day, she was really heavily recommending that one. That's the one with Ava DuVernay, uh, who is uh, involved with making that. That's a really good one. So what Wakanda Forever is talking about is the other day, I gave my recommendations as a pasty white dude, as a Canadian pasty white dude, as to, hey, if you want, because somebody wrote in asking for recommendations on, you know, really good, like civil rights movements kind of films to watch. And I gave my perspective uh, on what some of those are. Those are some really good ones, too, Wakanda Forever. All right. Uh, Aunt Wayne Wise writes. If Disney owns 20th Century Fox, how can HBO Max show movies like Dark Phoenix on their streaming service instead of Disney Plus because of of licenses and rights? You know, you like, for instance, there are even some Disney films that are not on Disney Plus right now because there were pre-existing deals already in place for certain numbers of years regarding those movies. And even though you own that movie, you still have to honor those licensing agreements. That's why you're getting into the situation right now with HBO Max with like like Wonder Woman. Yeah, they could have it on their platform for one month, but there's a pre-existing licensing deal that was in place already for that movie. And they've got to honor that license. So maybe that means Wonder Woman is going to have to be on another streaming service for six months or three years. I, I don't know. Every license is different. 
But yes, there are even Disney movies that Disney doesn't have on Disney Plus right now because of pre-existing pre-existing licenses for the distribution and home video rights of those movies that have to be honored. And then once those are done, then they can come back into Disney. And that'll be true as well for Fox and their properties as well. It's a good question. All right. Andy Hong writes, I can't access HBO Max on a Roku streaming or Amazon Fire TV stick or on my top rated beautiful LG OLED C9 TV that I would marry if I could, but I can access it through a TiVo stream 4K a device associated with a brand nobody uses anymore, WTF AT&T. I know. It's, listen, we've been going on about that for a while. I, I have been so excited. You guys know me. I've been like, HBO Max is coming. I'm so excited. I've been like that for like six insufferable months. And then they come out. Oh, and by the way, yeah, you can't watch it on Roku. What the hell are you talking about? You can't watch it on Roku. That's the most popular streaming platform in the world. Oh, and you can't watch it on Amazon Firestick. What the hell are you talking about? That's the second most popular streaming platform in the world. The fact that they did not work out their issues is one of the biggest boffed things that they've done. One of the biggest things they've dropped the ball on. It's just absolutely crazy. Now, listen, because I have Hulu, I can get HBO Max as an add-on to Hulu, but now I've got to go into one app to interface a sub-interface of that in order, and I just simply don't want to do that. I have no desire to do that. Not to mention, I should be getting it for free. I shouldn't have to sign up for it for Hulu. I should be getting it for free because I'm already an HBO Now subscriber. But on my Roku, it doesn't automatically up. It's just, they've got to get this worked out, man. They've absolutely got to get this. So I'm totally with you on that, Andy. And yeah, those LG OLED TVs are pretty damn sweet. So yeah, you're pretty good there. All right. Star Wars rocks writes. When I watched the trailer yesterday, I didn't think, I didn't think that it even suggested the possibility of a Miles Morales lead movie, Spider-Man movie. I do, however, think it's a DLC trailer for Spider-Man PS4 though. Yeah. There are a lot of people saying it's basically a really hyped up glorified, uh, add on or DLC for the original game or whether it's a standalone game, whatever. But again, I think there's a lot of arguments to be made here. When you look at the success they had with the movie, with the animated movie, the growing popularity of the character, and now this being one of the big highlight things, I've seen more people in relation to PS5, I've seen more people talking about this than anything else. I've seen more people talking about this Miles Morales thing more than anything else about the PS5. When you put all those pieces of the puzzle together, I think it does have an arrow pointing to the idea, even though I didn't think so before. I'm starting to think it might be inevitable, barring the huge obstacle about whether they can even do that with the rights the way they are with Marvel. So I'm not even sure they can do a live action Miles Morales. But that aside, if we take that issue and put it aside for a second, I'm thinking a lot of arrows are pointing to maybe that's a possibility. So we will find out. All right. Uh, Darth Wayne writes, just got news over here in Sweden that theaters will start to reopen starting June 24th. The theaters in the bigger cities will be the first to open. Then every week they will gradually open in smaller cities. Plan is to have everything open come July 15th. And again, Darth Wayne, I think a lot. I think that date is not coincidental. Warner Brothers wants Tenant in theaters July 17th. And I think you see everything from the NATO uh, comments, from Regal's comments, to Cinemark's comments, to AMC's comments. Everything seems to be about having everything ramped up and ready to go that all the pieces are in place for that July 17th release date of Tenant. Now, 
we still have to keep going back to the fact that it's no guarantee tenant will open July 17th. It's looking like it will. They keep saying it's going to, but we got to keep in mind there's no guarantee they could still move that release date. But as of right now, July 20, uh, July 17th for Tenant, July 24th for Mulan. And recently we just heard D- Disney's Bob Chapek, uh, the new CEO at Disney, say that they are still aiming for that July 24th release date for Mulan. They think that's a good date for the movie. They're still aiming for it. Whether or not it all comes to be... We'll have to wait and find out. But that's good on you, Darth Wynn. I'm glad your theaters are opening back up, man. All right. Damo Davies writes, I have just uh, rewatched Chitty Chitty. Uh, I almost said Gang Bang. Ah, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang recently. Because I went up. For those of you who don't know, one time we were talking about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And I accidentally said uh, Kiss Kiss Gang Bang. And oh, you better believe I heard about that for months. That little slip of the tongue I heard about for months. Anyway, I just rewatched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang recently, and I have to mention how freaky the child catcher uh, and how many nightmares uh, did he inspire. Yeah, listen, a lot of those older films, it's not just Chitty Chitty, a lot of those older films that were also kid films, they have some really nightmarish elements to them. I'm trying to remember the other movie that we talked about, Damo, the other, uh, just maybe last week or two weeks ago. We were talking about another film from a different era that was kind of child centric, but it's like, oh my gosh, like there's some real nightmare stuff in there. I mean, for instance, even just look at Pinocchio, right? There's some real nightmare inducing stuff in Pinocchio. Uh, and in a lot of those types of films, but that is also one of those examples, Damo. Thanks for bringing it up. All right. Ryan Loner writes, uh, my choice for the greatest scene in any movie is the tree scene from my neighbor Totoro. Uh, trust me, anyone who's seen it knows exactly. My, my wife loves that movie and knows what I'm talking about. And there's really no way to explain why, as it's not based at all on logic. Um, I, I don't oh, Anyway, two, two. Instead, it works on a purely emotional level as you're affected deep inside, even if you have no idea why. A great example of the kind of magic movies can have. I mean, th- th- listen, I completely agree. I don't agree it's like the greatest scene ever. I think if I was putting together my list of like top 25 greatest scenes, I don't know that would make it in there, but it is a great scene. But that's there's a magic in that. When you can get not just movies, but there are moments. When you can get scenes and move in and moments in movies like that that create this profound impact on you, that becomes magical, right? Like I go back to it all the time, but it's one of those moments. There is a, it's so simple. A man getting on his knee and saying one line, my friends, you bow to no one, right? It seems mundane on its surface, but when you watch Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, one of the things that makes those movies so special is that it is populated with moments like that one. And it's when you get these moments that they really become ingrained in you. And I think that's a great observation. Like again, and my wife, if she was, if my Anne was on the show right now, instead of downstairs working on her Amazon stuff, if uh, my wife wasn't working and she was up here with us right now, just to mention that movie would just make her bounce out of her seat. She loves that film. All right. Okay, guys, I just got a few minutes more because like I said, Anne and Anne's going to be waiting for me to jump in the car so we can drive to San Diego to celebrate our anniversary. Uh, but we're, we got time for a few more here. Uh, Chris S. also known as Topher Rocks writes, one of two. Hey guys, I'm feeling very thankful these days. About a year ago, I went through a breakup with a girl I dated for almost four years. It was incredibly tough. I had to move out of her house and start over. I was depressed as I've ever been. Uh, at times, I felt like I didn't. Uh, I at felt at times I felt like I didn't want being alive anymore. Now uh, it was horrible, and I wanted just to just give up. It, uh, it was 
John talking about castaway, not giving up. You don't know what the next day's tide will bring in. I lost 25 pounds, found a girl, feel great. Thanks, JC and RMDB and RMB. Oh man, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, dude. And listen, I don't know how many times and in how many different ways we can talk about the importance of and the the impact that stories and storytelling and movies can have on us. And that is one talking about powerful moments. You know, we were just talking about that in the last question, that moment in Castaway, because, you know, for those of you who haven't seen Castaway to really get the power of what Chris is talking about here, if you've never seen Castaway, you know, Tom Hanks gets, he's a castaway on a deserted Island, barely surviving every day like different things from his FedEx plane that he crashed on that was loaded with tons and tons, like literally wait, tons of packages would eventually make their way and get washed up on shore. And, and, and every time he would find something that would be a little bit useful to help keep him alive. And near the end of the movie, he gives this inc- one of my favorite speeches ever in a movie about, you know, somebody asked him, how did he keep going with, with all the stuff and everything he was going through alone on that? Island, how did he keep going? And he gives this little monologue and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but the basic gist of it is, you know, I just decided to keep breathing no matter how hopeless things looked because tomorrow you never know what the tide is going to wash is going to bring in. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like he he was facing an insurmountable problem and then all of a sudden tomorrow something would wash up on the shore that he could use to help him get over that obstacle, right? And there's this point, you just never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You never know what the tide is going to bring in tomorrow. And it was particularly impactful for me because it was only, it wasn't long prior to that, that a, a friend of mine, not not like my best friend in the world or anything like that, but, but a friend of mine had uh, had committed suicide. And I remember watching that movie watching castaway and when it got to that point and hearing tom hanks say that it it impacted me so hard because it's like oh my god i i wish they had hung in there to see this movie or to hear that line or or i wish i had the skill to articulate to people the way tom hanks just articulated in Castaway, and it made a powerful impact on me that that stays with me to this day. And uh, I'm glad that that movie had that type of impact on you. And listen, I, I go to that when times are tough or hard over the years. You know, uh, today just everything seems like it sucks today. But tomorrow, everything could look completely different. Everything could look totally different tomorrow because something we don't know could happen that makes things, sometimes we dread things making things worse, but sometimes things happen that make things better. And it's just one of the powerful things about movies, man. Anyway, thanks for sharing your story, Chris. And I'm glad movies were able to have that positive impact on you. So thanks for sharing that, Chris. I appreciate that. I think a lot of people probably appreciate it as well. All right. Last couple guys, ladies love Cobra commander writes, Hey John, just showing support for the channel. I took your advice And what we do in the shadows is exactly what I needed. Laughed more watching the first season than I have for any other season, for any other reason in 2020 by a long shot. Keep bringing the filthy, my guy. I'm so glad you started watching that show. And wait till you get into season two, because I think it's even better. I think season two is even better than the first season. I love the, like, Colin Robinson, uh, Laszlo, uh, Nadja, uh, 
they're all like Guillermo, uh, Nandor, the, the whole, every single character is absolutely fantastic. Like even some of my favorite shows have a couple of characters I could do. I could either give or take it. It doesn't really matter. They're there. That's great. If they weren't there, it'd be okay. But I'm telling you like this show, every single character is absolute gold. So I'm so glad you started watching that, man. All right. Curtis Lopez says my cabbages. Of course, listen, when I started watching Avatar, the last airbender. I had a bunch of people sending me in these memes or, or images that were clearly from the show of just some guy yelling, my cabbages. And they're like, you'll get it once you watch the show. And yes, I did. I, I certainly got it. I did certainly get it. All right, guys, listen. For everybody else who still uh, who still has questions outstanding here from Curtis and Anonymous and Ethan and another one from Curtis, I unfortunately do have to skip out right now. As I mentioned, it's Ann and I's 10th anniversary. Uh, we are taking off to San Diego for the weekend and we're going to, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to go get my bag. We're going to hit the car and drive down to San Diego. Um, so I do have to split out here right now. Hey, listen, guys, just so you know, normally... We do open mic on Saturdays. We will not have open mic tomorrow because once again, Ann and I are going to be out of town. So we are still going to have an open mic this weekend, though, and that'll be on Sunday. Sunday, we will have open mic. So just make a mental note of that. Open mic will be on Sunday. Also, just so you know, uh, for those of you guys who still have questions outstanding, we're going to start open mic on Sunday with your questions. So the questions that we, we've we got left over from here, we're going to start with your questions on that. And if you want to send in a question or comment for Open Mic on Sunday, you can actually start sending in now. Just use the tip link that's in the description of this video. At the very top of the description of this video is the tip link. You can use that. You'll be sending in a question that will get answered on the show, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. Guys, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show today. There's a lot of different things you could be doing, but you chose to be here with us, and we're super grateful for that. Also, special thanks to all you guys who sent in those questions, because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported the channel while you were doing it, and all of us here on the John KB YouTube channel, thank you guys very much for that. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campion Show. Be smart. Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Thanks for being here, guys. My name's John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.